you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We'll be in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. This morning we're going to talk about trust. Trust is something hard to gain, isn't it? Trust is hard to gain, but it's also easy to lose. For instance, I look with suspicion at the service technicians when I take in my car to get my oil changed. (laughs) Seems without fail, everything in my car must be replaced or I am a certain destruction when I leave. I've always kind of said, oh, I'll do it myself, knowing good and well I know nothing about what they're talking about. But I'm just suspicious. You're, you're going to upcharge me. You're, I'm going to leave here $500 in, and all I wanted was a $19 oil change. But my suspicions were con- confirmed one day when one of the areas that I needed fixing was, sir, you, you, you're going to need new windshield wipers. Because these are just worn and and tired, and they are cracking, and and they're just not going to work. And I said, well, that's funny. I just went and purchased them last week from Target. And he goes, uh, I guess maybe it was the salt on the road that got there, and, you know, was stumbling a little bit. And so from then on out, I'm like, I don't buy anything from these guys. So um, we have people in the car business. I'm not referring to you all. This was not at Bales. You know, don't. This was somewhere far, far away. No, no. <laughs> I'm sure if we took the time, we could each give examples uh, where we lack trust, right? Or we have trust issues, we might say. Maybe it's in relationships. Um, and you, have, you struggle trusting people because you've been burned way too many times. Maybe you don't trust institutions and their leaders because you've witness too much corruption or abuse of power. At some level, each one of us struggles with trust. And this is due to the fall. This is due to the brokenness of sin. We experience pain. And and when we're vulnerable, when we exude trust, and, and that trust is betrayed, oh, it makes it harder to gain it again. That's what I mean. It's, it's hard to gain and easy to lose. It doesn't matter all how the track record is, but if, if someone betrays our trust just once, it can destroy it all. This is life post-Genesis 3, life post the fall. This is the curse of sin. We struggle to trust. To make matters worth, worse, It's difficult to trust others, particularly when it concerns our own livelihood, right? When it concerns our own well-being, when it it has to do with our safety, when the risk is high in in our eyes, it's even harder to trust. As a result, because of our trust issues on a human level, often we discover we, 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 we struggle the same way on a vertical level. Or trust issues with the Lord. We often lack trust when it comes to our relationship with Him. And often our reasonings are the same if you really begin to think about it. Lord, I'm struggling because what's this going to do for my livelihood? 
Is this going to be good for me? Is this going to keep me safe? And when we do not see a a firm answer that satisfies our minds, well, that's when it's struggle to trust the Lord. This is exactly what we're called to in this passage this morning in Proverbs chapter 3. And really the heart of this passage comes in verses 5 and 6, and I'm just going to read them to us. They're familiar words, but we see it here. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. So right there it is. Trust in the Lord. And that's easier said than done, isn't it? Say we, we, we might say, yes, I trust the Lord. Someone would ask you, do you trust Jesus? Absolutely, amen. But it's harder when life starts to put that in play. When the rubber meets the road. And this morning, this call to trust is not just lip service. It's not just, hey, um, just saying what we believe or, or putting a pen or a bumper sticker on our car. This is a wholesale giving of ourselves to Jesus. This is the type of trust that is going to be called for here in this text. And maybe you've been attending here Sunday after Sunday. And you have never trusted the Lord. And you know who you are. You're that person who, who comes here and, and, and you know, hey, I'm not so sure about this Jesus thing. Hey, I come with my spouse or I just kind of sneak in the back and I leave when the service is over. I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. I'm just testing it out. Well, I'm talking to you. More importantly, the Lord's talking to you this morning. You need to jump in. You can no longer ride the fence because the kind of trust that the Lord calls us to is wholesale. This is your whole life. And so this is a come to Jesus moment sermon, if you want to put it that way. Come to Jesus and forsake trusting all else. Come to Him. Because I assure you, not only from His Word do I know this, but from my own experience, and and if you talk to anybody else here, their own experience, Jesus will not share loyalty with another. He will not. Just as Pastor Mike read, you cannot serve two masters. You will either love one and hate the other. For those of us who have trusted Christ, this sermon's for you as well. And what we're going to be reminded of this morning is that trust is not this one-time event. Well, I trusted in the past Christ. No, what this passage is going to call us to is rather a lifetime of trusting or a lifetime of following Jesus. And so as we've seen throughout this study of Proverbs, when we trust the Lord, or, or it's sometimes couched as the fear of the Lord, understanding of the Lord, this is when we find wisdom. Wisdom, a true wise person, trusts the Lord with all his or her heart and does not lean on their own understanding. And when we find this wisdom, we find life. We find everlasting life and blessing and favor with God. 
and our fellow man. So what does this look like? That's really the question for us this morning and what I want to tackle for us from this passage. What does it look like to trust the Lord with all your heart? This morning we're going to see four practical ways to trust God and receive his blessing in our life. So if you're taking notes, here's the first, here's the four points, and then I'll reiterate them as we walk through them. Number one, we trust God's word. We trust God's word. Number two, we trust God's ways. We trust God's ways. Number three, we trust God's provision. His provision. And number four, we trust God's love. That's what we're going to see in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 this morning. Let's start with the first one. We trust God's word. Now, you might be saying, Chase, that was last Sunday's sermon. That's right. Yeah, we're going to hit things over and over. And, the, and, the, and the Solomon uh, is like any good teacher or parent, knows that we need to hear things over and over and over and over again. Repetition is essential to comprehension, right? I see the teachers out there going, amen, yep, that's right. It's essential to it. And here in chapter 3, we're beginning um, what commentators say the third lecture of, of Solomon, of the father giving to his son. And I want you to notice just how each section begins. And if you will, just turn back to chapter 1, verse 8. Look at how he begins. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Okay? Chapter 2, verse 1. This is last Sunday. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. It's very similar. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Flip over to chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Think he's done? Nope. Go to chapter 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. We can stop right there, okay? You get the point, right? He's going to reiterate this and reiterate this and reiterate this because this is foundational. This is primary. To trust the Lord with all your heart begins with trusting Him at His word. To trust God in His Word. And here we see in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, as we, we focus on this trusting of God's Word, we're called not to forget His teaching. Not to forsake the Word handed down to us. And the immediate context, obviously, is, is a father speaking to his son. This is a, a mother and father. This is the, the parent-child relationship. And we're reminded yet again that the home is the primary place of instruction and formation of a child. And so children, listen up. Do you want to trust the Lord with all your heart? And do you want to not lean on your own understanding? Then listen to your mother and father. 
and do not forget their teaching to you. Now I'm looking at some of them and they're going, hmm, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? There's that trust factor, right? Mom and dad, we should not ever give our children any reason not to trust us. But it's going to be because they're little sinners. There's always going to be trust issues. I got a story later with my own son that I'll share. But if we were to broaden this application, this is just the beginning. But as we think about it, this, this applies to us and, and really to anyone who delivers the word to us. Do not forget what they taught you. Do not forsake their teaching. And the church is the main context where this happens to us throughout our adult life. It even begins with the child. The parents are bringing you kids. They're bringing you here so that you may hear the word and, you're, and the things that you hear at home are reinforced and, and exemplified by other mentors and, and, and other people in your life. And as you grow up and you're built up in the church, it is a context where the word is taught everywhere. It's taught in your Sunday school. It's taught in your community group. It's taught on the Sunday morning service. It's plastered in the hallways. This is a reason for that is because like this uh, uh, Solomon here, we want to pound this into our heads. Trust the word. Trust the word. Trust God's word. See, on a Sunday morning, we want to saturate ourselves with the word of God, don't we? Maybe you're a visitor here, or, or maybe you've been here for a while, and you often wonder, man, why do we do, why, why do the pastors, why do the leaders, why are the services shaped the way they are? Maybe that's been a question you have. Well, we want to let you know at least that we want to accomplish five things every Sunday. This is our prayer. Every Sunday that we accomplish these five things, and, and if you're taking notes, these might be helpful for you. We want to, number one, read the Word. So you hear us in the songs intermixed, we start and we're reading scripture at various points in the service. You see that. Not only do we want to read the word, we want to sing the word. And so often the songs that we sing, they're they are scripture put to song. We want to pray the word. And so when we come up and we pray, uh, your pastors are often quoting Scripture. We, we have the, the scripture, weekly Scripture reading, which often serves as a foundation for the prayer that will come later. We want to model what it looks like to pray the Word to you. Fourth, we want to preach the Word. So every Sunday there's a sermon, and we open up our Bibles, and we read them, and we, and we sit, and, and the bulk of the service um, hangs on an exposition of Scripture. And the last one is a, um, a little more challenging for us as Baptists, but we want to see the Word. We want to see the Word, and this morning we got to do that through the Lord's Supper. Seeing the Word proclaimed through the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so everything in the service is Word-centered. And so that we are getting it in every other way, Right? Some of you are just engaged when uh, uh, you know, someone teaches for a long amount of time. That's like, like three of you. Others of you are, are engaged when we're singing and, and, and we're interacting. That's a lot of you. We want to, the Lord is, is wise and he, he distributes his word in multiple facets addressing each of our senses. And so it is through this means then that we are not to forget why it's repetitious we don't want to forget the word 
Another way to think of this is that we remember the things we value, don't we? The things that you value most, you do not forget. I remember growing up as a, as a, a soccer player in high school, and you know what I would always forget? My books to do my homework. You know, that just happened. But you know what I never forgot? Soccer practice. Ever. It was just what I valued. Well, this is what we're seeing here in, in, this, in this passage this morning. Do not forget my teaching. Do not forget these things. That means you must find them valuable. You must find them, you might say it, trustworthy. And when we do, we'll never forsake it. This church values God's word. I think that's evident, and if you've been here, we, we want to continue to do that. And, and often, I, uh, one of the greatest compliments that I, I hear from people who visit our church is twofold. One, the people are so friendly. And number two, the Bible teaching is so good. And I'm not saying that about me. I'm talking about um, Sunday school classes or my children's classes. That's what we want to do here. We want to value God's word. So what does that practically look like? Well, that was my sermon last Sunday. So if you weren't here, I, I preached all on that. But here's a, just kind of a way of review. Number one, and we see this in verse one, we need to keep or guard it with your heart. You see that there. But let your heart keep my commandments. Verse three, we, we bind it around our neck um, as a guide. It's close to us. And then the end of verse 3, write them on the tablet of your heart. All these pictures are a picture of internalizing God's word within you so that it transforms you. And so when you keep his commandments with your heart, you won't let, verse 3, steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Those two words are very important to the Jewish um, um, covenant, the Jewish people. Because those words recalled God's covenant loyalty to them. His promise-keeping loyalty to His people. And so what he's talking about here is remember God's steadfast love and faithfulness to you, which is exemplified in His promises to you. Where do you find His promises? You find His promises in His Word. And what we, we do is when we bind them around our neck, we, we write them on the tablet of our hearts. Well, it transforms us so that we now begin to exemplify that promise-keeping love to others. And we become a community of, of, of the loyalty of the Lord where steadfast love and faithfulness abounds. That's what happens. And so very simply, this looks like the great and second commandment, love God and love your neighbor. Now, I want you to notice that blessings come from trusting God's Word. Blessings come. And these are interspersed in verses 2 and 4. So 1 and 3 give the command, trust God's Word. 2 and 4 gives you the blessing if you do that. And number 1, you see in verse 2, a quantity and quality of life. If you trust God's Word, verse 2, for length of days and years of life and peace will add to you will guard your life now does this mean that god's people will never die young billy joel disagrees only the good die young no 
It's actually Lady Folly screaming out through a song, just so you know. I like that song, though. But um, no, we have the Proverbs. We have to keep the Proverbs in perspective. In fact, the Proverbs are part of wisdom literature, which, which includes Ecclesiastes, which includes Job. And his house was a house uh, of a blessing. He was a righteous man, but he went through trial. There was loss. Doesn't mean that you're going to live forever, or that you're guaranteed uh, to, to break the Guinness Book of World Records on the length of years of your life, but it does mean that by and large you will live a life in safety. You won't, and by that I mean you won't short circuit your life because of your own sin. We just look back and growing up, and if you live long enough, you will know enough people who have short circuited their life because of sin. You will die if you live in sin, but you will live if you trust God's word. Not only that, but you will find favor and success with God and man. Look at verse 4. That's exactly what we read. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And again, does this mean that you'll be the best at everything you do? That you'll get every job promotion that you could ever want? That you can now, hey, I'm going to apply myself to be the best pro athlete and I'm going to win every game? No, it does not mean that. Think of Joseph, though. His life was not smooth sailing. He was sold into slavery. His parents were lied to, thought he was dead. But he found favor with God and man through that whole journey. Did he not? We went through the book of Acts. And we think of the Apostle Paul as he is declaring the good news of Jesus Christ from city to city, and he's beaten, and then he's arrested. But what do we find in that journey? He found favor with God and man. God was protecting him. God was orchestrating and sovereign over all the events of his life, leading him all the way to Rome. And through that whole journey, he was finding favor with jailers and governors. This doesn't mean that everybody's going to like you. But if you live according to God's word and you trust God's word, you will find favor with people. You just know that's by being kind, right? If you look at the end of chapter 3, we see what this looks like. You see it in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. You do good to somebody, you're probably going to find favor with them, right? 28 is kind of the opposite. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. 29, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. You live like that, you will not find favor. You will be known as the town jerk, right? But you live according to God's principles, you're, you're, you're a person who does people well according to what God's steadfast love and faithfulness because you trust his word, oh, you will find favor. Even if they don't trust in the Lord, they will know, you know what, that's a good woman. That's a good man. That's how God has orchestrated his, this world to work. The perfect example of this, however, is Jesus. 
And I have in mind that story of when he was a young boy and and his parents left Jerusalem and he remained in the temple. Let me just turn there and if you want you can. Luke chapter 2. chapter 2, I don't have time for the whole passage, but beginning in verse 46, after three days, this is they found him, Mary and Joseph, found him in the temple. What was he doing? He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. In verse 47, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He is modeling the, what it looks like to treasure up this teaching. He's applying it to his life. And that's just mind-boggling in itself. Jesus is the author of Scripture. He is God, the creator of all things. And yet, he became a man and he learned the Scripture. That'll cause your brain to hurt. But look at verse 52, as Luke summarizes Jesus' life as he grew up. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. What did that look like for Jesus? It ultimately looked like the cross. But he found favor with man, didn't he? He was the friend of sinners. And certainly... No, even though the world did not see him for what he was, he had God's favor upon him. This is what Proverbs is talking about. This is the type of wisdom that Proverbs is talking about, and it's exemplified in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who the Scripture tells us, for the joy set before him endured the cross. There's a joy in living according to God's will that might be a little bit different than what the world would expect. What the world defines as favor. And so a trust in God's word will shape our joys, which will be eternal joys like Jesus. But the question for us is, do we trust him? Do we think he's worth it? Well, building on a trust of God's word, then we'll then trust God's ways. We'll trust God's ways. And we see this in verses 5 through 8. And these verses demand a holistic commitment to the Lord in every facet of our life. Notice here, trust the Lord with all your heart. Now, when we think of heart, we think of our emotions primarily. Well, in the biblical concept, the heart is the center of the person, the center of their mind and their will and their emotions. It is your your center of your being. Jesus put it this way, quoting Deuteronomy, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love Him with every fabric of your being. And so, it's an undivided trust, isn't it? An undivided trust that says, I cannot serve two masters, but I will only serve one. It looks like in Proverbs uh, 3, 6, to acknowledge Him in all our ways. Well, what does that mean? Does that just mean, I acknowledge you, Lord, as I go to the store? I acknowledge you, Lord, as I go to work? I think that's kind of how that word acknowledge lands on my ears. It just kind of says, oh, I acknowledge you. I give lip service to you, but that word communicates something far more than that idea. That word communicates an intimate relational knowledge. You could think of it as fellowship with God. This is 
Acknowledge Him in all your ways. That means there isn't a sphere in my life that is not surrendered to His Lordship. This means you trust the Lord in how you deal with your family. How you view your spouse. How you, how you view your children. And children, how you view your parents. You honor the Lord. You acknowledge Him. You walk in fellowship in those relationships. Your business dealings. How you interact and view your boss. Or how you act as a boss. How you work. The integrity you show. Your relationships. They're all under the Lordship of Christ. Your, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. How you view your enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. You don't get a pass in any facet of our life, even social media. How you view your studies. Do you see them as reign under the reign of the Lordship of Christ? How you view your citizenship. How you honor our leaders. Your pleasures. Are they surrendered under the Lordship of Christ? Thinking about even your recreation, your entertainment. Enjoying food and, and, and the things given to us freely by God. Christians are the only ones who can rightly give glory to God in whatever we do, whether we eat or drink. You might say, how do you do that? We can rightly give Him praise for the great things that He has bestowed upon us in this world. You hear me use this analogy a lot of the times. Think of, of, of your most favorite meal. And you know when you're hungry, I like to go to Chewy's and I get that massive steak burrito. And I know some of you, that's what you get. That first bite, I'm telling you, where all those flavors are just oozing, my tongue literally starts like spasming when I eat that. And I'm no joke, I'm like, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And what the scripture tells me is that this is a taste of the goodness of God, and I can eat that burrito to his glory. <laughs> Amen, right? Now, some of you think you're gone off your rocker. We will see this in Proverbs, okay? How you handle conflicts. Do you put them under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ? How you view sickness and death. Do you put it under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, every facet of our life is to be aligned with God's wisdom, trusting His ways and how to deal with these areas. This is I trust God's word by living it out. This is what these verses are saying. I trust what I read here, and therefore I am going to align my life as I live it around these things. But such trust is going to take humility, isn't it? Look in verse 5. Do not lean on your own understanding. That's where the problem runs, right? We always lean on our own understanding. Or verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. I don't know about you, but I want people to think I'm wise. I want to think that I'm wise. But Proverbs tells us this in Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. You've, you, we've, we've run across those people. Sometimes we are those people. As one commentator insightfully states, it is self-idolatry to think that we can carry on even the most ordinary matters without his counsel. Do you live out every facet of your life acknowledging the lordship of Christ over it? 
That's what it looks like to trust Christ. It means to seek the Lord's counsel in His Word. It looks like seeking His counsel through prayer. It looks like seeking His counsel among His people. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. You know what a true test of of humility is? When you're making major life decisions and you say, I'm going to go seek out the godliest people I can find to test me. Is this a wise decision? It is being foolish It is being wise in your own eyes when you say, you know what, I'll just make that decision by myself. And that's hard, especially for us who think we're wise in our own eyes, right? Look at verse, chapter 18, verse 1, the same thing. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. You know what I find most heartbreaking in the church? is when people come and then they, they reach this crisis or they reach this decision point in their life and then they isolate themselves because they know this does not align with God's word. And they isolate themselves and they withdraw and they give themselves to it because why? And we've all done it because we don't want to face the truth. It's why you find a man who's wise in his own eyes, there's more hope for a fool than for that person. But to trust God, there's blessing, right? Verse 6, chapter 3, He will make your paths straight. Verse 8, It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones when you acknowledge His Lordship over every facet of your life. Now what does that mean? Does this mean that we're free from illness and pain? No. But it does mean we'll have a state of well-being and rest, knowing that the Lord is in control and that we can have a confidence in Him. This is the person who, who trusts in the Lord and is refreshed by His presence, confident and eager to see His goodness at work, even through sickness and death. We no longer fear. The Lord is my shepherd. Whom shall I fear? It is knowing him in that intimate level. Like Joseph, as we saw the story, as he is in the well and he is sold into slavery and he is in prison, he is walking and trusting with the Lord. As we think of Paul in prison for the gospel, he is walking and trusting in the Lord. And there's a coolness, a collectiveness, a refreshment, a joy. So trusting the Lord not only looks like trusting his word and his ways, but also trusting his provisions. And we see this in verses 9 and 10. And so thus far, we've kind of talked generalities. And in fact, all of chapter 1 through 9 of Proverbs is really general, just so you know. It isn't until we get to chapter 10 that we have all the short, pithy, direct statements. He is giving us an introduction to the book. Value wisdom. You're going to have blessing. He's giving us large principles so that when we get to those specifics, like, hey, he who isolates himself goes against all sound judgment, you're now thinking, trust the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. You now have this greater context of a relationship with the Lord to, to view here. But Solomon gets a little specific right now. 
and as it concerns your wealth, your money. Look at what he says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. See, the fool thinks it's his money, right? Fool says, I don't have to acknowledge the Lord and how I manage my stuff. But here we see, no, we are to honor him with our possessions, our wealth. See, the wise understands that even the air we breathe is borrowed from our Creator. How much more is our paycheck? And so the wise person answers this question and says, who gives me strength to do my job? Who gives me the mind to do my job? Who has given me the opportunity to do my job? The fool says, I do. I do, therefore it's mine and I will do with it as I please. Whatever makes me happy, after all, I deserve it. You ever said that? Sure, we all have, right? But the wise person says, Lord, this is all yours and you have stewarded it to me. You've asked me to be a steward. In this way, we are to view our wealth and possessions, now, no matter how great or how little, as gifts from God, which are called to steward. And, and biblical stewardship could be defined like this. It's managing God's blessings, God's ways for God's glory. Managing God's blessing, God's way for God's glory. And what God says to us is, to, he says, honor me with your wealth. Well, how exactly do we do that? That's at the end of verse 9. With the first fruits of all your produce. The first fruits of all your produce. This means we don't give him what we have left over. We give from the beginning. We give the first fruits. We don't give him our, our leftovers. We give him what we, we bring in uh, right from the start. And what that picture is, is, Lord, I'm recognizing that everything that I have is given from you, and I'm trusting that you will bring in the rest of my needs. That's a totally different perspective than saying, well, Lord, I'm going to use this to meet all my needs, which often turn into wants, which often turn into desires, and then, Lord, I have nothing back. That's the foolish way to, to view your possessions. The wise way is said, I'm going to give you the first fruits. Now, I don't have time to do a whole sermon on money. We will do that. Proverbs and money. We'll have a whole sermon on that. I'm, I'm glad we have a whole class, Sunday school class, biblical stewardship, which um, is going really well. We'll repeat in two quarters. And I would say every person in this church, whether you think you're a good money manager or not, needs to take that class. Just so we are reorienting our mind, what does it look like to honor the Lord with our, our wealth? But let me give you just three principles to take away. Honoring the Lord with our wealth means we give thoughtfully. We give thoughtfully. I'm giving some thought and attention and energy toward giving to the Lord. It means we give regularly. I have, I have a, a pattern in my life of wisdom of giving him the first fruits. I know I've spoken to many of you who, who often say, right when I get my first paycheck, I then turn around and I, and I deduct what I'm going to give to the Lord right off the top. So I'm not tempted in any way to use it in another and give the Lord my leftovers. 
And then finally, give sacrificially. But I want you to note the blessing that comes. Verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So this means, boom, if you give to us, we promise that the Lord will give you a hundredfold and you will be a millionaire rolling it in just like uh, Joel Steen and you'll get your own jumbo jet. No. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, and I know we're going over. Guys, we're not going to sing the last song, okay? Um, What does that mean? Well, Proverbs often assumes that money is a struggle, first of all. Proverbs often assumes that money is a struggle. You see this in, in verses 13 and 14. Speaking about gain wisdom, cherish wisdom more than money because, verse 14, gain from her is better than from silver, and her profit is better than gold. Wisdom will make you richer than money ever will. Wisdom will make you richer than money ever will. Proverbs 17.1, better is a dry morsel with with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. 19.1, better is a poor person who walks with his integrity than one who is crooked and in speech is a fool. 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together and the Lord is the maker of them all. Wisdom says there are things better than money. So what does this mean? Well, number one, this verse, verse 10, is telling you the Lord will meet your needs. But you and I know this, He often exceeds our needs, right? The picture is He he exceeds them. We we ask for this and and our need, and we often find that we have abundance. And we, most of us, live in excess. He meets our needs and more so. Proverbs speaks of the stingy and greedy person and says about them that one who, well, this is on the positive side, one who gives freely, Proverbs 11.24, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. You hear that? One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Yet, Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. The stingy and the greedy are always longing for more. They have two daughters, Proverbs says. You know what they're called? Their names are Leech and Leech. Sorry, Norman, that's not you. (laughs) His last name's Leech, so you all know. Um, Proverbs 13, 25. Whoever spares... That's another one. Proverbs... 1325, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. The one who always is give, 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 is never satisfied. But the one who knows the Lord, their appetite is always satisfied. So it means that God will meet your needs and often that he'll exceed them. But two, it also means that God will store up a harvest for us to reap in his kingdom. We'll reap, we'll reap a harvest in His kingdom. I love Matthew 19. 
Jesus has just talked to the rich young ruler. And at the end of that, he looks to the crowds and he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what's comical is that verse is that is Peter's reply at the end of it. Peter said to him, "See, we have left everything and followed you." Just Jesus want to make it clear, we got nothing. Okay? We're not like that guy. He says, "What will we have?" And Jesus says these wonderful words, "Truly I say to you in the new world, When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for My name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That's trusting the Lord with all your heart and saying, Lord, I'm going to give you the first fruits of My produce. Because I know that you will meet my needs. And Lord, you often exceed them. But Lord, I am building treasure in heaven. I'm not trying to do it here on earth. Last point, and I'll make this quick. What does it look like to trust the Lord with all your heart? We trust his love. We trust God's love. Verse 11 and 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. This is a good balance to that your barns will be filled with plenty, because the next verse says you're going to suffer trials and suffering, but it's the Lord's disciplining of you. Yesterday I took my son out to ride his new Captain America bike pretty cool. It's got a big old shield on the front. He's got a helmet. But my son, if anything is just a tad bit difficult, he likes to throw in the towel, including learning to ride a bike. So what does daddy do? We're going on a bike ride through the neighborhood so you can't run home. So we go, and he learns his first lesson. There's a big dog in that driveway. I said, you don't stop, you keep pedaling. What does he do? He stops. (laughs) Daddy, I'm scared. Go. (laughs) I knew the dog wasn't going to get him. I had one of those shocker things on him. We bypassed that. I said, see, once you went, he left you alone. Then we go to a hill. Daddy, I can't go. Don't stop, don't stop. Break and tips over. I say, you will fall if you you stop but trust me keep going sits there i said trust me trust me why won't you go because daddy i'm scared daddy i'm scared and i said andrew has daddy ever harmed you purposefully (laughs) i promise you you will live and when he went through and sometimes i had to push him came out on the other side and he said I did it that's right and we traveled we came all the way back home and he did something he never thought he could do well our Heavenly Father is far more wise than me and far more loving than me 
but he takes each and every one of us on our own little journeys where we have to meet these new challenges and he says, trust me, trust me, trust me. And like our son, my son will often say, I'm scared. But what does this look like for us? It looks like trusting his word, trusting his ways, trusting his provision, and ultimately we trust his love. That's what it looks like, Oak Park, to trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed, okay? Dear Lord, pray you give me favor in your people's eyes as we've gone over just a little bit. But Lord, I pray that they would value this wisdom more than their time. And they would see it's more precious than gold and more valuable than silver. And Lord, that you're shaping us and you are molding us after your character and your steadfast love and faithfulness towards us. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Lord, I, I pray for that individual who's riding the fence right now. Lord, may you speak to them that they cannot serve two masters. They must come. And Lord, for any of us who have hidden areas that we are not submitting to your lordship, Lord, may we confess those to you. And Lord, may we find the great joy and blessing and refreshment that comes when we walk a life trusting you. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Thank you. God bless and you're dismissed.